Okay, um, those of you who do not have a Bible, please raise your hand. We're going to be walking through 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning, um, and we'll make sure that we get Bibles out to you. When we had last left off in our teaching, Rory was teaching uh, about the fast, of course, as that was a, a, a kind of a preamble to sending our brothers and sisters to Nepal. So the last two weeks we taught on fasting. The week before that we ended up in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Rory had taught about what the difference is between godly sorrow that produces repentance and sorrow of the world which produces death. And the little Corinthian church had gone through some amazing transformation where they started proving the, the fruit of repentance in their lives. They were brought to a new understanding of God's grace. In that they were shown in verse 11 of chapter 7, they were shown... Um, Diligence, clearing of yourselves. They were showing indignation. They were showing fear, desire, zeal. And in all of that, the chapter ended with the joy of Titus, who has seen this great repentance, this great about face of this local body who has just been growing and learning like we all are in being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Titus found that out. It says in verse 15, his affections are greater for you, for you all, as he remembers the obedience of you. So let's begin with chapter 8. Let me just read this through. It says, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he has, begu has, as he has begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, 
that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us, providing honorable things not only in the sight of the Lord but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. This is probably the most real, most exact set of scripture in the Bible to do with the doctrine of Christian giving. We don't preach about that much here. We have um, wonderful um, opportunities that God has put before us where we as a church body have given wonderfully to support that. We're a giving body. What I want us to understand is where this giving comes from as we work our way through this text. What I want us to look at and and examine and, and keep in mind is where we are at as far as our regular giving. Though we give wonderfully well to what needs to happen and what what has to be be given to the ministries that are going on. I want us just to keep in mind as we work our way through this text. And we're just going to be dealing mainly with verses 1 through 9. You see the... the, um, Repentance, the godly sorrow that happened in chapter 7. As we lead into chapter 8, what we start to understand is that grace prepares the way for grace. As they grew in in this particular chapter 7, repentance of godly sorrow. In verse 16 of chapter 7, as we look at that, it says, Therefore I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. Paul has confidence in them. He has confidence in that the denial of self in one direction leads to cross-bearing in other forms. If the Corinthians had shown such godly sorrow, they would now be eager to demonstrate their renewed Christian strength by a a more faithful regard to all obligations. Paul says he has confidence. And he says he has confidence in everything. You see, this is not a condemnation on the church in Corinth. This is not a rebuke of them. We've seen that as we read the end, you know, the last few verses of chapter 7. Chapter 8 is simply the next step in the discipleship of the Corinthian church. Like I said, this section of scripture has been called the richest, most detailed model 
of the doctrine of Christian giving. You see, as we look through this and we examine our own lives, what we see is the questions what, where, when, how, and why God's people give speaks volumes regarding our commitment level to Christ's lordship in our lives. If we give grudgingly, it says, I have to. If we give dutifully, it says, I need to. If we give thankfully, it says, I want to, and I get to. So let's read verse 1. Let's start with that. Verse 1 of chapter 8 says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. See, first Paul, as he's teaching these individuals in Corinth, goes to a recent example. And he holds this recent example up of the churches of Macedonia and says they're well worthy of imitation. This is what he wants to grow these people in. You see, Macedonia has been overrun by armies in those days. And at that time, as the armies worked their way through the countryside, they devastated it. And they depleted every individual of all the wealth they had, in whatever forms that may be. These people in Macedonia were devastated at this time. Macedonia, so we have an understanding as to where they are, they're in the northernmost northernmost province of Rome, of of the Roman-owned section of Greece, I should say. Paul's reference to the churches was the church at Philippi, the church at Thessalonica, and the church of Berea. Verse 1 says, the grace of God bestowed on Macedonia. And what I want all of us to know and understand by the time we get done here this morning is the cycle of God's grace regarding giving. You see, God's grace creates gratitude. which produces generosity in giving. Generosity in giving anonymously goes to the recipient that creates thanksgiving and praise to he who is due the glory. Okay? There's a cycle there. Everything must begin and end with God's grace and God's glory. That's what Paul's trying to teach this church at Macedonia, is that cycle. See, all giving begins with God's giving first. The starting point of true giving never is the needs of the world. The starting point must always be the grace of God. This liberality of the Macedonian churches was not of themselves naturally, but it was God's grace bestowed upon them to be the instrument of God's grace to others. Let's take a look at verse 2. 
that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. First of all, in verse 1, the grace of God created in verse 2 the abundance of their joy. Our gratitude for the grace of God must release itself in our own giving. Does that make sense? Because God is such a giving God, we in our utmost gratitude desire to give in response. The more we become aware of God's grace in our lives and circumstances, the more we will respond with a, thank, with a thankfulness producing an overflowing joy like we see in verse 2 in the Macedonians. What else we notice in verse 2 is that they were under great trials of affliction and they were in deep poverty. We can see why if we understand what's been going on there as far as the devastation of the land. Look at the example of these churches. They were not wealthy. They were under great trials, even great trials of affliction, it says. Painful. They were in extreme poverty. Yet God's grace produced, produced such great gratitude within them that they were overjoyed to be giving. In fact, in verse 2 at the end, it says, they abounded in the riches of their liberality. They didn't have anything. But by the grace of God, they were blessed. And that blessing created a, a desire to want to give and to want to help the destitute Jewish brothers who had just come to Christ over in Israel, in Jerusalem. Generosity as a definition is the overflowing goodness of the people of God. And here's one thing to think about. These Macedonians in these three churches, as they were going through these trials of affliction, as they were in deep poverty, they had the understanding of Christ's substitutionary sacrifice at the cross, right? Paul had made sure and kind of grew them up, the Philippians, the Thessalonians, the Bereans. They also had scriptures. They had the Old Testament scriptures. I want us to look at Malachi chapter 3, chapter 3 verse 10. And I want to just read something that these Macedonians may have been just meditating on. Malachi, the very last book in the Old Testament, chapter 10 says this. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Who knows, maybe they were trying to be obedient to what the Lord had said when he said, Try me now in this. You see, here's another picture of that, of that cycle of generosity, that cycle from God's grace to God's glory. Flip right over to the next chapter in chapter 9, verse 10 and 11. 
What it says is, and we'll be getting to this in a couple weeks. What it says is, now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Are we starting to see the cycle? You see, God's grace or the generosity of God granted to the people of God so the people of God may manifest the grace of God in their generosity and that this generosity would not be an end in itself but that it would result in praise and thanksgiving to God. It begins with God's grace, ends in God's glory, The cycle always starts and finishes that way. This was not a motivational speech from Paul. This was not teaching us to do this so you can get that. This is a do this because it shows our gratitude for God's grace. When God blesses us, he desires us to be generous. When we are generous, God is glorified with praise and thanksgiving. It's all of God. He gives everything. He made everything. He requires everything. He owns everything. And he will ultimately get the praise for everything. Verse 3. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. According to their ability and even beyond their ability. First off, let's make sure we understand the beyond their ability. This does not mean to go borrow against your credit cards. God isn't honored with that. This doesn't mean go find money that isn't yours This means give what you have. And we'll get into that a little bit deeper. But first they gave according to their ability. Giving is to be proportionate. God expects his people to give according to what they have. One verse that we read in chapter 8 is verse 12. And what verse 12 says is, If there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. At the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2 says, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no co- uh, collections when I come. Secondly now, it says in verse 3 that they gave beyond their ability. Now you've heard this before, but I think probably one of the best explanations I've found in my research is this. 
the Macedonians were willing to forego a legitimate want to satisfy a legitimate need in others. In other words, they were willing to be squeezed that they might be able to help others not be pinched. If we are only giving in the realm of our comfort zone according to God's word, we're not really giving. Giving is sacrificial. God's people are to give according to what they have, but it must be in proportion to what is sacrificial. Let me make a point here. Let's look at Luke chapter 21, the first four verses. All right. It begins and it says, And he, Jesus, looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites, small, small piece of money. And he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. You see, Jesus was not impressed with the comfortable offerings of the rich. But he was impressed with the sacrificial offerings of this poor widow. Thirdly, in this verse 3, they were freely willing. You see, the grace of God bestowed upon them again created such joy, producing generosity, that they were freely willing to give. They had to give to the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Literally in the Greek, they were freely willing means one who chooses his own course of action. This was entirely on their own. No one was coercing them as to where to go or what to do. Nobody held a beating stick over their head. Nobody was preaching from the pulpit saying, you've got to do this. That isn't the way it worked. The cause was the grace of God. Let's look at verse 4 imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. They hurried to the privilege of ministering to God's people. Literally what it says is begging us for the grace of participation in this ministration to the saints. Now who are the saints that he's talking about here, right? Take a look in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. We've read this a number of times before, but I want just to remember this. The saints are God's people. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And it goes on and says, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy 
mercy. These people pleaded for the opportunity to be involved in the lives of people everywhere. This is a picture of our church sending out, what is that, I think it's 11 or 12, counting Eli, to another part of the world to share with them the riches of the understanding of Jesus Christ as Lord. It's generosity that flows out in joy. And it's sacrificial. Verse 5. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. This is probably the most foundational verse of this whole section of Scripture. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to the people of God by the will of God. You see, money was just one expression of their devotion to Jesus. As they put themselves into the offering plate sacrificially, their money naturally flowed behind them. When someone understands that becoming a Christian, giving your life to follow Christ, means the giving of yourselves completely to the Lord, then the rest seems to just fall in place. Jesus says, Whosoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Now, if we understand what the word deny himself means in the J.B. Phillips translation, it means that you give up every right you have to yourself. You are no longer yours. And everything you've got is no longer yours. You are Christ's. There's a story that I read about, you guys, as I was studying this thing. And it's the story about a businessman, a wealthy, prominent businessman in a town. Everybody knew him. Everybody knew his status. They knew it by the way he dressed in $1,000 three-piece suits and silk ties and Italian leather shoes. They knew by what he drove. They knew by the way he acted. This was his image. This was his status. And one day, he was asked by an acquaintance to come to a Bible study. Now, this is a guy who refused to want anything to do with knowing who Jesus Christ is. He was a self-made man. As he started attending this Bible study, as he started finding out who Jesus Christ was, as he started understanding the atoning sacrifice, the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, he desired to make Jesus Christ his Lord. He offered up his life to Jesus. He desired to be baptized. And in this church, there was probably a half a dozen people that were being baptized that morning, most of which were wearing jeans and a t-shirt, right? They knew where they were getting dunked. This guy showed up in a three-piece suit, a vest, a silk tie, Italian leather shoes, dressed to the T. 
And afterwards, after his baptism, they gave him an opportunity for his testimony. And they asked him, they said, why did you come dressed like that? Why did you come wearing this expensive, expensive clothing? And what he said was, this is what represented what he once held dear. He said, I've surrendered all of this to Jesus. And he declared to everyone that he wanted the world to know that Jesus Christ has all of me. My status, my wealth, my prominence, my self-sufficiency, everything you see I want the world to know that Jesus has all of me. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. This is the picture of of the man that I'm talking about. This is sacrificial living and sacrificial giving. Let's go to verse 6. It says, So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. Titus was sent to the Corinthians to help them grow in the understanding and the application of this doctrine of Christian giving, how this cycle works, where it comes from. And then verse 7, Paul says, But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Paul exhorts and encourages the Corinthian church to excel in this grace of giving. Paul says, Look, you've done well. In all these things, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in diligence, in your love for the brotherhood. And he says, also express these attributes in the most practical of forms. Namely, generosity. Verse 8 says, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. It says, not by commandment. Paul is not trying to be heavy-handed here. He's not trying to be domineering here. Even if you skip right down through to verse 10, it says, and in this I give advice. This is a loving Christian brother who has maybe walked down that path of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, a little further maybe than these people in the church of Corinth. And he's gently, lovingly teaching them this wonderful grace of generosity. You see, he's not trying to tell them what to do, what to give, some of that kind of stuff. 
We each have the responsibility before God to submit ourselves to the authority of Scripture as it, come home, as it comes home to our hearts and our minds. Paul says he is testing the sincerity of the, Christ, of the Corinthians' love for Christ and Christ's people by the diligence of the Macedonian churches. Again, that's just an example. And then Paul doesn't end there. Verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul points them back to the grace of God. I want to read you guys um, a commentary that I found in Matthew Henry's commentary. It says, The grace of God must be owned as the root and fountain of all the good in us or done by us at any time. It is great grace and favor from God if we are made useful to others and forward to any good work. He commends, Paul commends the charity of the Macedonians. So far from needing that Paul should urge them, they prayed him to receive the gift. Whatever we use or lay out for God, it is only giving him what is his own. All we give for charitable uses will not be accepted of God, nor turn to our advantage unless we first give ourselves to the Lord. By ascribing all really good works to the grace of God, we not only give the glory to him whose due it is, but also show men where their strength is. Abundant spiritual joy enlarges men's hearts in the work and labor of love. And then he says how different this, this is from the conduct of those who will not join in any good work unless urged into it. I want, to, I want you guys, as we begin to close, to ask yourself to meditate upon and to pray about five questions. The first is, am I giving myself first to the Lord? Does Jesus have all of me? Number two, am I giving in response to God's grace? Is it joyful? Is it cheerful? Number three, am I giving beyond my ability? Is it truly sacrificial? Can I feel the squeeze by what my heart with overflowing joy, wants to give. Four, am I giving without external compulsion? Am I giving without prompting, without prodding? Is it freely willing? Number five, am I clamoring for the privilege of serving the saints? And as we call the worship team back up here and we get ready to close I found the words of a hymn that fits very well and I wanted to read it to you 
You guys don't want me to sing this. <clears throat> what it says is, it says, I found a friend. Oh, such a friend. He bled and died to save me. And not alone the gift of love, but his own life he gave me. Nothing that I have my own I call. I hold it for the giver, my heart, my strength, my life, my all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we thank you for such a wonderful week. We thank you for all that you've done and shown us in your power, in your glory, in your wisdom, in your majesty. We thank you for your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, we thank you for the authority of scripture that we stand upon. Lord, in this doctrine of Christian giving, it's something that touches each one of us as we study it, as we listen to it, as we know, as we come to learn. And Father, I, I just ask that you would touch us, Lord. Reach down from the heavens. Reach down from your throne of grace and reach into our hearts. Show us, Lord, in our hearts and minds what your grace and your generosity, your giving to us has been. Let us get a true grasp of that gift from you. Fill us, Lord, by your spirit with an overflowing joy and exuberance, understanding that everything that we have, everything that this world has is all yours. And when we give, Lord, we give back what is yours to begin with. Touch our hearts, Lord, as we meditate on this truth. Lord, our hearts desire, God, For every man and every woman in this room, Lord, is that we might hear from you when our work on this earth is done, the words that say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. God, we desire to hear that. God, we just desire to live in reckless abandonment, sacrificially, for your gospel's sake and for your people's sake. Lord, we ask that you would bless this day. We ask that you would bless the flight of the Nepali team heading over there. Go with them, go before them. Comfort the hearts and minds of the wives and families that are left here, Lord. Pour out upon them in a peace, Lord, a perfect peace that comes from trusting you. Lord, make true in us what was true in Paul's life as he confessed, I have been crucified with Christ. 
it is no longer I who live, but Jesus Christ lives in me. And the life which I now hold, now the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Lord Jesus, be honored. Be honored today in our hearts, in our minds, and everything that is yours. In Jesus' name, amen.